So what we're doing is looking at Acts every week, and we're looking at how Luke, the author of Acts, claims that he investigates and puts together this account to show that Jesus really is alive. He's ascended into heaven. And the way that you can know that He's alive is He sent His Spirit and His church that looks so weak, these people that look so weak, are unstoppably growing. So, here's what, here's what I want you to think about. And I, I, hope, this, I hope this works. Um, there was a time in my life where, it's actually a few years ago, where a train okay, brought some real fear and panic out of me. All right? And what I, Liza and I, we were driving towards West Point. Uh, we'd actually just come to the beginning of West Point, and a train shows up, and it's a very long train, which stops our, uh, our process. And as we're sitting there for a long time, panic and adrenaline is growing and growing in me, and Liza is, uh, is seeming to panic a little more, and she's saying, we've got to go, we've got to go. And all this fear is coming out of me. Why? Because I fear trains? No. Because Liza was actually in labor with Annie. And Liza has babies very fast. I hope you don't mind me sharing that detail, Liza. <laughs> and as this train was stopping our progress to the hospital, all these fears start bubbling out of me. Uh, one, I hope we get to the hospital. To be, I've seen these movies where like this happens in a car and there's no way I, I can do it. Like, everything is coming out of me. We've got to go, we've got to go. I'm trying to figure out how we're going to get around this. Why? Because you're... When something blocks that which is really important to you, right? Fear comes out. Panic comes out. And that's the grid that I want you to use for tonight. Because if if the definition of a Christian, okay, whatever you think, is that it's more bound up in who you are, not what you do. And who you are is that you are united to Jesus because the Holy Spirit dwells in you then what does it look like for the Holy Spirit to show up in your life? And here's the grip. The Holy Spirit begins to cast out fear. Okay? Because biblically speaking, whatever you fear controls you. And whatever you most fear losing is probably the thing that you actually worship because you're convinced that holds your life together, Christian or non-Christian. And so if you, if you really fear failing... You'll do whatever it takes not to fail. Because I can't not have that. Uh, if, if you fear, fear being socially out of a particular ring, you will do whatever it takes to be in that group of people. Because to be outside of that creates panic like my life is falling apart. And what Mary Mad read for us before, Romans 8, this is on your, on your uh, sheet. Listen to this again. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Did you hear that? The Christian is someone whom the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, resides in, and He so assures you of God's love for you that that fear, you stop being controlled by fear. Which then 1 John 4.18, one of my favorite verses, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. I love that verse. As the Holy Spirit assures you of the love of the Lord, fear is cast out of your life. And so as we read what is the account, honestly, of the first martyr, which is Stephen, 
I want you to take that lens because what you're going to see is that those who oppose Stephen, because they lack the Holy Spirit, are very afraid. But Stephen, who is dying, all his fears begun to be cast out because he has the Holy Spirit dwelling in him. So, use that paradigm. Let me uh, let me pray. Father, this is your word. Thank you for um, those who are here tonight. There are a thousand places they could be tonight, uh, and they chose to be here. So would you, um, would you bless that? Would you um, interact with doubts tonight? Would you interact with fear? Uh, would you show us uh, that you are good and trustworthy? So good that you were willing to send your son Jesus uh, to, to be our righteousness and our forgiveness so that we could be yours. In your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, Acts, turn verse 6. I'm just going to read down the sheet here. Verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at them, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. And then he preaches what is the longest sermon recorded in the book of Acts. Here's how it begins to end. Verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God in Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. One there. The grass withers, flowers fade, the word of our God, it stands forever. Okay, using our paradigm, that what does it look like for the Holy Spirit to dwell in you? What does it look like for the Holy Spirit to show up? It means he casts out fear by the love of Jesus. So, we see that the Holy Spirit, three things, casts out fear of being exposed, casts out fear of suffering, and casts out fear of the future. First, Fear of exposure. Okay, Stephen, if you're reading through Acts, is actually introduced a few verses earlier. And what you see is he is this man who is filled with spirit. And he is appointed, actually, to take care of widows. People who are suffering. People who need help. And as Christianity is beginning to spread throughout Jerusalem at this point, these religious leaders, these Jewish leaders from the synagogue, they start disputing with Stephen. And Stephen is just more wise and more loving 
uh, and more real, we'll say, than they are. And despite their best efforts to, to debate Stephen, to disprove what he's saying, he keeps coming out on top. And so verse 11, this is when things start getting serious. They start <clears throat> secretly instigating false witnesses against Stephen. They start drudging up these false charges. The word there is probably bribery. That will eventually lead to a, a mob killing. And you've got to feel the irony and tragedy of this because these are people that say that they love God's law come through Moses. Yet they are so angry that they do something explicitly against God's law, which is to bring up false witnesses. But they don't care because they've got to get rid of Stephen. And that's the question. What in the world could create this kind of hysteria? I mean, this is really dark. That they would then pick up stones and eventually kill him. Here's the answer. They're afraid. Right? Remember our paradigm. There's something about Stephen that has made them panic. There's something about Stephen that has threatened what is extremely valuable to him. Actually, that's probably their identity. Stephen is blocking what they worship, what they use to make sense of their life. And what is it? You see it. There's two, there's, there's two things that, Jesus, that Stephen does. Stephen teaches better than they do. And as they try to confront his wisdom, he keeps being more wise. And it makes them mad. And then Stephen brings up Moses' law. And did you see what he said? This is at uh, the end of verse what uh, 53. He said, you received the law as delivered by angels and you did not keep it. And when he says that, they become enraged. And Stephen is done. What's happening? The only explanation is this. The religious leaders of the day, they know that they're okay. They know they're somebody because they know God's law, and they keep it better than other people. In other words, the religious leaders of Stephen's day knew they were somebody because they were good. And when Stephen comes along and exposes, you're just like everybody else. You don't keep God's law either. You break it. They had a choice. Be exposed. Repent. Or kill Stephen. And they kill Stephen. So afraid of that are they of being exposed for, as being wrong. Or being exposed as being a sinner. That they kill the person trying to lovingly expose that fact. And so the Holy Spirit casts out fear of being exposed. What you're seeing is they don't have the Holy Spirit in them. They cannot stand the thought that they actually might be a sinner. A real sinner. So here's the question. If you claim to be a Christian tonight, has the Holy Spirit cast out the fear of exposure? Is it okay when people confront you? Or do you always get defensive about it? Right? If what makes you feel like you're okay, if what makes your life work, if what makes you convinced that you and God are on good terms, is that you're a person? Is, is that you're a good person? Everybody's a person. Is that you're a good person? You will always fear failure. 
You'll always fear being exposed. And look, this is the temptation in the South. Because in the South, there's the, we're in this weird culture where kind of being a Christian and a good guy still gets you up in the world. It works for you. And so has Jesus freed you? If you're always talking about how bad other people are, are always angry about, about those people, there's a good chance that's the way that you're blocking exposure. That makes you feel good about yourself. Because I can be above you. Or, what happens? If a Stephen lovingly really does expose you, how do you react? If, if someone says, I'm worried about you. Like, I'm worried about your temper. I'm worried about your drinking. I'm worried about fill in the blank. If your security is your goodness, you will strike back. You will say things like, well, you have no right to confront me. I know what your life looks like. Or you'll build up all these good things that you've done to try to cover up. But what you cannot do is be exposed. But the Holy Spirit casts out fear. So that even if you're exposed is worse than you think, it doesn't have to destroy your identity. Right? Look at the offer Stephen makes. Stephen in verse 52 calls Jesus, this is interesting, the righteous one. Why does he call Jesus the righteous one? It's very intentional. So we talk about this all the time in RUF. That's why the drill fields of false, false gospel, by the way. Because what saves you is not your personal righteousness. What saves you is not how well you obey the law. What saves you is Jesus' perfect righteousness on your behalf. And if that's the case, it frees you to be broken. It frees you to be exposed. Any Downton Abbey fans in here? All girls' hands going up. Good. Well, you know, main character, Mr. Bates, uh, he comes back from war, and if you know this, he... He has a limp, right? He has a, uh, I think his leg was hurt in war. And he is, he's so ashamed of it. He's so embarrassed of it that at some point he gets this device that actually screws into his leg, causes tremendous pain, so that he can walk like a normal person. And finally, at one point, he's in this conversation with the person who's going to become his wife, which is Miss Hughes. Um, Anna, I'm sorry, Anna. I, I, I don't care if I'm exposed as a fraud. I have Jesus. But there's this scene where, um, I, gosh, I think I have this right, where basically his brace gets exposed. And they take it and they throw it into the pond. And she says, we'll have no more of that. We'll have no more of that. And it's this beautiful scene where somebody that actually cares about him says, you don't have to do this. I don't care if you look weak. And this is what the gospel is supposed to do, is that it's supposed to free you. Because Jesus is your righteousness. To appear to be weak. To appear to be a sinner. If you want to know the thrill of grace, quit being so defensive. The person with the Holy Spirit residing in them, when sin is exposed, they don't have to freak out. Because you can say, you might be right. But my trust has never been in my own righteousness. It's in the righteous one, Jesus. And so I can say, tell me more. 
Tell me more about what I'm doing that I don't see. And you throw off the brace of defensiveness and you embrace Jesus again and again. So the Holy Spirit showing up in your life means that you can quit being so defensive about your personal righteousness. And you can be exposed. Second of all, it begins to cast out the fear of suffering. Right? By the end of Stephen's sermon, the religious leaders so irate, they, they close their ears, they start screaming, and they finally take him out and stone him. Thus, making Stephen the first martyr. That word, all martyr comes from is the Greek word uh, martyreo, which means witness. This is what it looks like to be a witness. And they take his life. And what is so shocking is what Stephen's life looks like as they begin to stone him. Is he afraid? He's not. It's amazing. He is so calm that he actually is calling out for the forgiveness of his attackers. The religious leaders here are trying to destroy his name, his reputation, and literally taking his life. And Stephen remains humble. He remains calm. And he dies serving his enemies. How is that possible? Honestly, How can his life literally be crumbling, him losing so much, and yet his life is so stable? It must be this. Whatever is going on in this is not threatening that which is his true identity. He must not be losing that, though he's losing everything else. And that's the key. You see, as the religious leaders rage and try to get rid of Stephen, we're told that Stephen is what? Full of the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? It means that he sees Jesus. You see, whatever you think the Holy Spirit's job in your life is, it is this. To enable you to experience and understand the love of Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job is to be a floodlight to shine on the work of Jesus so that you see how much He is for you and how much He loves you. And so, this is... Look, this is miraculous, I'm admitting that. But Stephen is being killed and persecuted and mocked, he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. And it enables him to love his enemies to the end. Why does it say that Jesus is standing? Everywhere else in the details, it'll tell you that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father because he's finished the work of salvation. Here he's standing. Why? Because in those days in the courtroom setting, Witnesses would stand up to accuse you or defend you. And so what's just happened is Stephen has had these false witnesses stand up and call him a joke, call him a liar. And now he sees Jesus, the cosmic king, standing up as his defender. Standing up and saying, though everyone else is rejecting you, I welcome you. I love you. I delight in you. You are mine. And at that point... Jesus' welcome, Jesus' approval is is more real and more central than the reputation that he's losing, than the rejection that he's experiencing from everybody else. So he is being declared a loser in in a reject in an earthly court. But it doesn't matter because he knows he has the verdict of loved and accepted in the only court that matters, which is the heavenly court of Jesus. So a friend of mine, uh, actually former RUF campus minister here, Nathan Turkwe, I've heard him tell the story a couple times when uh, he was at Liberty Land 
Memphis people? Any of you know, old enough to remember Liberty Land? So it's okay. It's actually a pretty trashy part, but there's some good things about it. But he he remembers one time being there <coughs> as a young adult, and he it was a hot day, one of those Memphis 120 degree days, and he noticed that there was a a group of kind of teenage guys, younger teenage guys that were just huddled up laughing at something. And so it caught his attention as he started walking over there. <clears throat> he finally saw what they were laughing at. And there were these misters, right, to keep things, keep things cold that had formed this puddle. And there was this girl that was playing in the puddle, but she was severely deformed. And so there were these guys that were honestly just laughing and making fun of her as she was dancing in the water. He became so angry. He was indignant. He's trying to figure out what, like, what do I do to stop this? Uh, but then when he looked at the little girl again, he noticed something. That she was smiling ear to ear. That everybody laughing at her and mocking her didn't change anything. And then he realized why. Her daddy was looking at her. And her daddy was playing with her. And her daddy was picking her up and telling her she was the most beautiful thing in the world. And when she saw that her dad delighted in and approved of her, it did not matter what everybody else said about her. That would, that's what is beginning to go on here. Is that the approval of God and His delight in, in Stephen puts everything else in the background. Because he's getting the eternal welcome of Jesus. So it doesn't matter what other people think. The Holy Spirit has cast out fear of suffering, fear of rejection, fear of even death. Not by numbing Stephen to reality, but by bringing him into reality. Which is his Heavenly Father's opinion of him and Jesus' acceptance of him. And that's what I would put before you. Look, I, I highly doubt any of us are going to get anywhere near Stephen, okay, in the United States of America. You're going to physically lose your life. But here's my question. Has the approval of Jesus, if you're a Christian, actually cast out the fear of suffering in your life at all? Like, has the approval of Jesus freed you to not cheat on a campus that just wildly cheats because it's just okay in what everybody does? Because see... If your identity is, well, I've got to make these grades to get into med school to get here, then you can't, you, you can't lose that. And so you'll do whatever it takes. But could Jesus' approval actually free you to get behind academically? That actually would be a loss. Uh, does the fear of being alone, the fear of not having a significant other, actually control you? So that some of you are in a bad dating relationship and everybody knows it, but you can't imagine being alone. The Holy Spirit has got to cast out the fear by the love of Jesus that you'll be okay. I mean, I have a friend who... I mean, he, he works for a company right now and his boss... He's only been with the company for a couple of years. His boss asked him to be a part of a project that was going to refurbish a building so that it could become a strip club. And he actually called me because he said, I don't know what to do. 
if I say no to this, because I don't really want to be a part of building a strip club that you know belittles women and does all, I might lose my job. And that kind of stuff really is coming. And will the love of Jesus and his delight in you cast out fear of losing things? So first, the Holy Spirit casts out fear of exposure. Second of all, it casts out fear of suffering. And lastly, it casts out fear of future. I just want to point out this little note. Right? If you were to take a snapshot of Stephen's life right here as he's dying, as he's dying just admit it. It seems like such a waste. I mean, really, was it worth it, Stephen? You stayed faithful, and you've lost everything. It seems at this point in Acts like evil is winning, like it's not worth it to follow Jesus. But didn't you love that Luke includes this little note, that the garments were laid at the feet of a young man named Saul? And then it tells you that Saul approved of his execution. Look, Saul gnashed his teeth because Stephen exposed him. Saul approves of the execution of, 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 uh, of Stephen. But man, Luke drops in this little bit of foreshadowing that we're going to pick up in a couple weeks. Because this thing, this very event, is one of the things that's going to be used to draw Saul to Jesus where he'll become Paul and extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. And just take that picture. The very thing that people were using to try to stop Jesus' work is the very thing that God flips and uses to extend His church to the ends of the earth. It looks like the church is losing. It looks like Jesus is losing and evil is winning. But man, He's not losing. He can't lose. He already won 2,000 years ago on the cross. And this is beautiful. Like the, the Lord includes this in chapter 7 because He knows this. He knows we're full of fear. Especially when we think about the future. Because I so often think, I just can't trust Jesus with my future. I've got to take it into my own hands. I've got to manipulate people to make it. I've got to cheat to make it. I've got to, I've got to cover myself to make it. I have to control my own destiny. I can't trust Jesus. Man. This little drop comes in to say, Jesus is on the throne. And He loves you. And you can trust Him with your future. You don't have to fear. And isn't that the real struggle? Honestly. Is it really going to be worth it? Is it really going to be worth it to follow Jesus in the end? Here at Winter Conference, we had one of our old campus ministers, older than me, we just kind of did this panel discussion where people asked, you know, what do I wish, you know, we started out, what do I wish I'd known in college? And Josh Martin, who's much older than me, in his mid-40s, I'm still young, he said this, he said, man, what I wish I would have known in college, and that I've become more and more convinced of, is that following Jesus really is worth it. He really is. He's... He's worth it to say no to sin. He's worth it even if, even if you feel rejection by people. He's worth it even when you walk through cancer. He's worth it even when you experience suffering. Because He's alive and He's real. And no one will love you like Jesus. Nothing else that you fear when you lose it will forgive you. It won't. Man, when you, when you fail Jesus, He'll forgive you. 
When you fail Jesus, He'll give you His righteousness. And you'll find His love for you is even more sweet. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. And we've got to start, if you're a believer, we've got to start feeding on the hope that is in Jesus. Like, man, for every terrorist out there in the world, like, there's 10,000 Christians doing the healing work of adoptions and the healing work of loving and serving people and welcoming refugees. Like, Jesus has won. We don't have to live in fear. He has promised the end. If you are with Jesus, you will not lose. And that has to free us to love and to serve and to give things up and to quit being so defensive. Because He is on the throne. So Acts 6 and 7, it doesn't want you to do this. Wow. Look at the courage of Stephen. Just be more like Stephen. I'm telling you, what Stephen would say is this. Look at the love of Jesus. It's that good. It's that real. And the same Jesus that was standing to receive Stephen will stand in your place tonight before the Father and receive you as well. No matter what your life looks like, you can trust Him. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for even Acts 6 and 7 that is... Honestly, it's kind of hard to read uh, to think about someone being stoned. But Lord, it exposes so much about us. We are, we are fearful. Uh, not even execution, Lord. We fear people rejecting us. We fear giving up things that we're addicted to for comfort because we don't think you can fulfill us. Uh, we fear just saying no to sin. Man, Spirit, would you come for the first time or yet again, would you revive our hearts and remind us that Jesus stands for us. And with that, cast out fear. In your son's name I pray. Amen.